I'd like to ask if we could take a moment and just honor our veterans. If there are any veterans in this room, would you mind standing up, please? Thank you. Looks like Edwin's hiding in the back there. Now, uh, please remain standing for a moment, for a minute. And then uh, let me ask this. If you're the wife of a veteran, can you stand up? That's really important. That's right. We recognize not only that that, uh, you may have served with your husband, uh, whether you liked it or not, but you may also still be serving with your husband, even though he's home now. So we thank you and we honor you today. So thank you for that. And uh, if, I'm going to just say a prayer, and then we'll uh, get started with the rest of the announcements. Just a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord God, we thank you so much for our veterans, Lord, who are willing to sacrifice themselves for our nation, for our freedom, and even for, for each other. Lord, we just pray you'd continue to bless this nation. May we turn our hearts towards you. Lord, may we not embrace sin. And God, may you bless our message to our nation, the message of your gospel. We just thank you. We thank you for our veterans. We pray you be with them even now as those are, who are still serving. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 6. And while you're turning your Bibles, I, I just want to set up tonight's study a little bit. And uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles. I, I, uh, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but um, I, I, I saw this little instrument or device for predicting the weather. It's called the Redneck Weather Vane or Weather Station. And uh, I've got a picture here. And it's just a rope hanging off a board. And, and it says uh, the way you can tell what the weather is, is the rope is hanging. And if the rope is wet, that means it's raining. If it's moving, it's windy. If it's hot, it's sunny. If it's cool, it's cloudy. If it's stiff, it's probably cold outside. If it's white, it's snowy. And then, of course, if it's gone, take shelter. There's probably a hurricane coming. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, many times, I, I love the simplicity of the redneck weather vane. Um, and, you know, many times we try to overcomplicate things, especially the scripture. And I want to encourage you, as we get into these next chapters, we're going to get into some, some unique things, some crazy things, some things that are going to make us go, what? Let's not overcomplicate it. Let, let's just say, okay, this is what the scripture teaches. This is what will happen. We'll believe it. Even if we don't fully understand it, we know that God will work out the details. So um, as we get into this next section, I want to remind you where we're at. Revelation chapter 5, we saw, we talked about last week the kinsman redeemer, that Jesus Christ is our kinsman redeemer, our Goel, and that he alone was the one worthy to open up the scroll. The scroll representing the end of God's prophetic plan, the consummation of the earth, the return of Christ. It's all, it's all these things wrapped up. And as he's going to start breaking the seals off this seven-sealed scroll, and I have a picture there um, of the scroll. Uh, here's a little sample of a scroll with seven seals on it. And in heaven, Christ is breaking each seal off these scrolls. Um, and the uh, Sorry, that's a four-sealed scroll. Um, not a seven one. As, as he's breaking these seals, we're going to see that many things are going to happen to the earth. Now, in the Old Testament, Daniel refers to this time period as this. In that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. 
But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Daniel refers to this time period as the great tribulation, that this time will be a time of, of trouble like no one has ever seen before on the earth, and that his people will be delivered. Who are his people? We're talking about Israel, the Jews. They'll be delivered through this time. And then in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, the, the Bible, uh, Jeremiah prophesies this, Alas, the, that day is so great there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. And it shall come to pass in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds, and foreigners shall no more make a servant of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So this, this prophecy in Jeremiah is also refer, referring to this time. So we call it a time of Jacob's distress or Jacob's trouble. And Jacob obviously is that figurehead of Israel. So it's a time in which Israel will go through great distress and great trouble like never seen before. And yet God will raise up a new king uh, from, from David. And so we're, we're, we're entering into that time in the book of Revelation as we get into chapter 6. Remember, we left behind the church in chapter 3, and then we've been up in heaven. So we went from, from earth up to heaven, and now we've, we're coming back towards earth, and we'll go back up to heaven. And I want to encourage you as we read through Revelation, consider the perspective that it's being given, whether it's from heaven or whether it's from earth, because it'll help you in, in, uh, as we understand this. So let's pray and ask God's blessing as we get into his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight, and God, we just ask for your blessing. Lord, we ask for you to reveal your word to us, give us understanding. Holy Spirit, we ask you to apply it to us, convict us, change us, transform us. God, let us be more and more like you, and we just give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. So Revelation chapter 6, starting at verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, now I watched When the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Verse 5. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius. And three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. Verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked and behold a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. I'm going to stop there and we'll just look at this passage so far. Now, again, I said that 
the church, we don't see the church mentioned again from chapter 3 until the end in chapter 19. Ecclesia is that word for the assembly or the church. And, and it doesn't appear again in the book of Revelation. And I, I am convinced by, and I have a strong conviction that the church is actually raptured out and we're with the Lord at this point in time as the great tribulation period kicks off. I don't believe we will be here on earth. So why are we still reading this? Well, I think there's a lot to be learned and I think there's a lot of application. And more than that, knowing that things will not continue on as they always have been, knowing that God has a plan and he will fulfill this plan, I think it motivates us to Christian living. What do I mean by Christian living? Well, I mean not only in doing right and honoring God with our lives, but also sharing the gospel. That is an essential part of your life in Christ is being an ambassador of this reconciliation between man and God. Um, and that's something that Christ has done for us. So I think as we read these, uh, these, these next few chapters... Before we get back to the return of Christ to the earth, I think we'll be really moved by things and we'll also have a, an acute awareness of what's going on in the world and what to expect. You know, the world is always saying peace, peace. We're always looking for world peace. We're always trying to achieve it. And, and the fact is, is what, from what I can tell from, from what I've been reading, there's been more wars in the 20th century fought than ever before. And that's just talking about wars between countries and borders and clans, but we're not even counting for gang wars and that type of violence. We're just saying there's been a lot of war happening and it sure doesn't seem to be stopping any time soon. No matter what we do, it's interesting. When I was in high school, I remember I had to write a, a, a term paper for my government project and, and I chose a subject I knew nothing about. I, I didn't even, wasn't even considering being a Christian and I, I chose the subject peace in the Middle East. And I remember writing this paper, going to the library and doing all my studying and all this, this sort of stuff and reading about Israel and its neighbors. And uh, at that time, not even having an understanding of the Bible, I realized this is impossible for man. Man is never going to be able to make this possible, not a lasting peace. And we're going to see with the first writer, as, as John is saying, I watched, now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a, loud, a voice like thunder, come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Interesting, this rider's on a white horse. You know, we, we tend to think of white as the good one. Uh, white, and when someone wears white, they're, they're the good guy. And, of course, in uh, the old Lone Ranger movies, uh, the Lone Ranger always <laughs> rode the white horse. Uh, I think his name was Silver. And uh, the Lone Ranger had the white hat, and he was the good guy. But this, this one here doesn't seem to fit the good guy. And some have said that they think this is an early appearance of Christ, and I, I don't agree with that, especially considering what's to follow this horse, the three next horses seem to bring a lot of judgment and evil. And this one's very different than the horse that Jesus rides in on. This one comes, and it's on the white horse. It's holding a bow. Notice that there's no arrows. And then he's given a crown, to, and he conquers, and he's conquering, and, and he conquers. And that crown is not the sovereign crown that Jesus wears at his return. Remember, I've talked about the, the difference in the crowns. This crown is a, a, a conqueror's or a victor's crown like you'd win in a game, not that of a sovereign. When Jesus comes, 
He's wearing a crown of a sovereign. The Greek word is really clear on that. And here, the Greek word is more for a a victor in the games. This writer here creates a peace when he comes, but he doesn't keep it for long. In fact, I think this writer is a fake. This writer is, is not the real deal. He's not the real one coming to bring peace. In fact, I would call him the Antichrist, and that's who I believe him to be, this writer. We'll see him show up again in Revelation 13. He's the beast coming up out of the sea. But you know, it's interesting how much we long for things and we look for someone to solve our problems, and sometimes it seems like people may have the answer, but I want you to realize that ultimately the one true king The one that will finally establish peace is that one who comes at the end, Jesus Christ. We're going to see when he rides in on the white horse, he's not carrying a bow. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. And we're going to see that that when he fights, he speaks and everybody dies. In fact, the Antichrist himself dies. Daniel 9.26 says this about the Antichrist. Um, And and let me set this up. Daniel's prophecy, uh, Daniel's told, he's, he's asking the Lord, how long until you take us back? Lord, how long until the end of all things? And, and Daniel's answered with that there'll be 70 weeks from the going forth of the decree to rebuild the temple, uh, or sorry, to rebuild Jerusalem. And, the, and then the Messiah will come after 69 weeks, and then there'll be a 70th week. And in that 70th week, this is what happens. After, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abominations shall come... uh, and uh, come to one who makes desolate until the decree end is poured out on the desolator. Sorry, that translation, the ESV, I don't think has done as great of a job with the Old Testament. But here, Daniel is told that in this 70th week, there will be this person who's called a ruler, a prince, and he'll come in, and he's going to usher in the the end, and, and he'll make this peace, this, this covenant for one week, one seven, one, one period of seven years. And in the middle of this week, he actually puts an end to sacrifice and offering, and he creates an abomination that causes desolation. And of course, Jesus tells us about that too in Matthew 24, about the Antichrist, who is the abomination that causes desolation, that in, in the middle of this week, the Antichrist will cause himself to be worshipped. He'll say, worship me, I'm the one you should be worshipping. Interesting that the Jews are looking, they're longing for Messiah. In fact, you'll have rabbis talking about, hey, look at all the wars that are happening. I think Messiah is coming soon. Around the welling wall, they have banners calling for Messiah to come. They believe when they first took back Jerusalem, rather than taking the Temple Mount, they said, no, let's just leave the Dome of the Rock there, because when Messiah comes, he'll take it. He'll, he'll rebuild our temple. That was their, their thought. And of course, we know that this seven-year tribulation has a purpose, and this purpose will be calling back Israel. Now, don't mistake me. There's salvation no other way but through Jesus Christ. 
Being a Jew will not save you. Being a good person will not save you. It is only by the blood shed on that cross that we can be saved. But that doesn't mean that God has forsaken his promises or forfeited those promises to the Jews. And so as he prophesied to Daniel and said, hey, this is going to happen. The the end will come. We we learn about this Antichrist. And why is he called the Antichrist? Well, I think the Jews are going to receive him like the Christ. They're going to think he's the conquering Christ. They're gonna, he's going to be powerful. He's going to establish peace. And like I said, notice in chapter 6 here, he comes with a bow, but there's no arrows. He, he has this way of making peace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3 says this. says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Paul tells us that the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is destined for destruction. In fact, he goes on to say this in verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Eventually, the Antichrist will die just by Christ's coming. The breath of his mouth, Christ is merely going to speak. Notice the difference between the fake and the real one. The real one has the power and the authority. The real one on his thigh is written king of kings and lord of lords. The real one speaks and things happen. He doesn't have to convince. The real one has the power. But people are going to be excited. They're going to be moved by this antichrist. He's going to be a slick talker. One commentator said this. He'll have the oratorical skill of John Kennedy the inspirational, inspirational power of Winston Churchill, the determination of Joseph Stalin, and the vision of Karl Marx. He will have the respectability of Gandhi, the military prowess of Douglas MacArthur, and the charm of Will, Will Rogers, the genius of King Solomon. Uh, of course, he's an older commentator. Some of you guys don't know who Will Rogers is. But uh, just think of somebody really charming. There you go. <laughs> so... And, of course, the oratorical skills. I mean, Obama has, is a great public speaker. I mean, when he speaks, you're like, wow, he's a good public speaker. Um, and so uh, whether it's John Kennedy or Obama, you get the idea that when he speaks, people will want to listen. It's just the, the, just the way this, this Antichrist is. <clears throat> so we're warned about this, this person who's coming all throughout Scripture. Of course, John tells us that There'll be many false Christs, uh, and in fact, even the spirit of Antichrist is in the world today. Have we seen him yet? I don't know. Is he a president? Is he this? Is he that? Don't go there. You know what? In that time, God will reveal who this Antichrist is. In fact, one of the things that Thessalonians tells us is that the restrainer needs to be removed first before he can come, before he can make his way. Who's the restrainer? The Holy Spirit. I think that's the church. Holy Spirit was given to the church on Pentecost. When the church is removed, the restrainers moved, and then the Antichrist can come, and he can be, deceive people. And they, I, I, I think Christians would spot this guy a mile away and be like, nope, that's the Antichrist. We would just recognize it. So now I want to point out something at this point. There's a remarkable parallel between Matthew uh, or the Olivet Discourse um, and Matthew 24 and part of Luke and this chapter in Revelation. Of course, the Olivet Discourse was Jesus' disciples came to him the night of his 
betrayal. And they say, they said, uh, okay, Jesus, what's, what's going to happen? How, 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 what are going to be the signs of, of, of the end? I'm sorry, it wasn't the night of his betrayal. It was right after cursing, uh, when he left the temple and he gave the prophecy that not one stone will remain among the other. It's during the Passion Week. And they're out at the Mount of Olives and he starts to share what's going to happen. And the, one of the first things he shares in Matthew 24, 4 through 5, and I'm just going to reference these scriptures, we don't, we don't have them all, is one, there's going to be false Christ. And of course we see that Revelation 6, 1 through 2, the, the rider on the white horse. Then he, then he says that the second thing is there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, 6 through 7. And of course, that's going to be the, that's the next rider on the, right ho- on the red horse, Revelation 6, 3 through 4. Then Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 7b that there's going to be famine. And Revelation 6, 5 through 6, that's the rider on the black horse. Then Jesus said uh, the fifth thing is that there's going to be, or fourth thing is famines and pestilence, and with Matthew 24, 7 and Luke 21, 11. And of course in Revelation 6, we have a correlation with the pale horse and death. Then Jesus said there will be persecution, Revelation 24, or sorry, uh, Matthew 24, 9 through 10. And of course, in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, we have the martyrs during the tribulation. Then there will be terrors and great cosmic signs, the sixth sign that Jesus gives, and that's Matthew 24 and 29, Luke 21, 11. And then, of course, here in Revelation 6, 12 through 17, we have terrors and great cosmic signs. The last thing that Jesus talks about is there'll be a worldwide preaching of the gospel in Matthew 24, 14. Seven things, and of course that's correlated to us through the ministry of the 144,000, which we'll probably get into next week or the week after. So as we go on to this, I just want you to realize, uh, and you can study this on your own, go back to the Olivet Discourse in the Gospels and read Revelation 6 and 7 with that, and you're going to see like, wait a minute, Jesus said this. Now, John is showing us this. This is all going to happen. So the second horse is, is uh, although the first horse comes conquering, and he's going to bring peace, but that peace is short-lived. Verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature saying, come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. So we're going to see wars ramp up at that point in time in, in the tribulation period that although this peace is established, it's not for long, and wars are going to start happening, people will start attacking and conquering and slaying each other. And then the next seal that's broken open, the third seal is, I heard the living creature say, come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. What are scales used for in the ancient world? Measuring out goods, measuring out barley, wheat, coins, whatever the case is, that's what they were used for. Commerce. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and wine. So here we have a famine coming with this third horse. The third horse brings with it famine, which is often the case of of war, war happens, and I just want to speculate for a minute, and please don't, don't quote me as saying this will happen because this is all speculation, and that's kind of fun to do when we get into Revelation is speculate how these things could work out. But when you think about 
the Middle East and what is there, the oil reserves and, and all these natural, the, uh, Israel found a huge oil reserve and a huge natural gas reserve off their coast. And, uh, and, and there's, it's very interesting to see what will happen with that. But when you think about what happens when oil is fought over, for us, it's not that big a deal. We groan about it, go, oh, I should go get a Prius, right? It's like, you know, all right, it's going to cost me a little bit more. But think about a country where already they're living literally off the next harvest, where if they can't afford to run their tractor, they can't afford to harvest, and people are going to continue to starve. So what it's saying here is it's going to cost a day's wage for a quart of wheat. How much is a quart of wheat? It's like one meal. It's just one meal. It's like lunch. You're going to have a quart of wheat for lunch, and that's all you get for a day's wage. And then, of course, barley was a less desired grain. And you might be able to feed a small family. You get three quarts of barley for that denarius. It won't be delicious. It won't be great, but you'll at least eat something for that. But notice it says, do not harm the oil and wine. I want to point out two things to you about this. One, Christ is the one opening the seals. And Christ is able to give command. As these things are happening, it's not just out of control. It's not just like, oh man, what's going to happen next? Or by chance this bad thing is happening. No, this is clearly planned by God and controlled by him. And so as this famine comes, there's a command given, do not harm the wine or the oil. Why the wine or the oil? Well, I, 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 I don't know. But I, I think that uh, it's probably to do with whatever is causing this famine, whatever is causing the wheat and the barley not to grow, whatever is causing that, um, oil and wine, grapes and, and uh, olive trees, they, their roots go deeper. So whatever it is, it's probably not going that deep and, and uh, these things are not harmed. But there's a restriction placed on this rider. And uh, I think that's very important for us to understand. The fourth horse, the fourth seal that opens up, he's told, come... And he looked, and behold, the pale horse. Now, if I was John at this point, I don't think I'd want to look anymore. You know, <laughs> you see the rider with white. Oh, that guy looks pretty good. Oh, but he's not good. And then you see the rider bringing war and death. And then you see the rider who's, who's uh, uh, bringing famine. And then finally this pale horse. And the word pale is, uh, honestly, it's like sickly green. It, it'd be what, what you would call a green plant that's brand new, that's just a kind of a pale green. That's really what the word is. And it's this sickly looking horse, and its rider's name was Death. That's not so great. And hell, Hades follows with him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. We're just getting started in this tribulation, and a fourth of the earth is going to perish. A fourth by this fourth rider. This is going to be terrible. We're not even getting in deep into this yet. And a fourth of the earth is going to perish. A fourth. This pale horse brings with him um, famine, pestilence, wild beasts of the earth. What, what, what is all this stuff? Well, obviously we don't understand what famine is. Pestilence, bugs, whatever the case is, they, they cause famine. Sickness, disease, I, I don't know. My wife watches this show, and I think it's the most awful show in the world that she's watched. And 
I don't know why she watches these shows, but it was like uh, Infestation Houses or whatever on Discovery Channel. And it was like the, the worst show I've ever seen in my life. And it's all about people that buy houses that don't know that there was an infestation in the house. And it's like, oh, this house had, was full of spiders and they would come out crawling. And, or this house was full of cockroaches. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And I think back to Exodus and the ten plagues. And then when the locusts came... The, the people of Egypt could not even see the ground. They were covered everywhere. That is just gross. The pestilence. And we're, not, we're, we're talking about things we can see. What about the things we can't see with this writer? Disease. Viruses. I mean, that's kind of one of the things we talk about in this day and age is what about, what about the swine flu, the bird flu, this flu? What, what about all these diseases, Ebola, which is, uh, I, I was in uh, West Africa in 2006. I was in Liberia and uh, had no problem coming home. But I notice now, if you're coming into the U.S., they say, have you been to West Africa? If you had, you got to go over to this line. I was like, man, I'm thankful I'm not coming back from West Africa right now. Ebola is serious and, and it's scary. So we're, whatever this fourth rider brings with him. We just know that people are going to die and a quarter of the earth. How many is that? Well, that's an estimated 1,500,000,000 people dying. That's a lot of people. That's, that's a tragedy like we've never seen before. And it's going to bring a great effect on the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, let's look at verse 9. We, we, we haven't read this part yet. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. It's an odd passage. Here we have the martyrs during the tribulation. And I, and I absolutely believe this is those who are, have come to Christ during the tribulation period, they're being martyred. We know the Antichrist is going to, the Christians are going to be looked at as dangerous people, dangerous to the worship of the Antichrist, dangerous to, to, to the peoples of earth. And I mean, think about it for a minute. We just recently had that shooting in Oregon, and who were they targeting? Christians. Christians are looked at as dangerous people nowadays. Do you realize that? You're a dangerous person. Why? Well, because you, you love people. Oh, that's right. You do say that things are wrong. You, you say abortion is wrong. How dare you? You're intolerant. We hate you. Wait a minute. Who's intolerant? The world is intolerant of Christ. They don't like being told anything is wrong. Everything should be right. Nothing should be wrong. Well, the fact is, is we can't live that way. It is impossible. We have to be able to say certain things are wrong because they are wrong. Because God says they're wrong. You're intolerant. Why? Well, look at the persecution that's going on if you say no to doing it, performing a service with a homosexual wedding or same-sex marriage. We have, we have people being arrested. We have people being fined. And, and we're not just talking about private lawsuits. We're talking about the attorney general of Washington going after a Christian because she said she wouldn't make flowers for a wedding. How is that dangerous? Oh, that's, that's the worst kind of danger. That, that, that's, yeah, you, you can't do that. That's bigotry and you can't do that. That's totally dangerous. There's nothing, 
There's no bigotry happening there. It's just saying I don't feel comfortable performing that kind of a wedding. Well, it's going to get even worse in the tribulation period. We know that Christianity has always had martyrs. And the fact is, is if you're living as a Christian, you should be suffering some. It is impossible to live as a Christian in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and not to cause waves. It is impossible. And I'm not saying you go out there looking for it, saying, hey, I'm going to try to upset some people, (laughs) hit them over the head with a Bible, you know. (laughs) No, I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying the more you stand for truth, the more you represent Christ, the more likely you are to suffer persecution. We've been fortunate in our country, but it's just it's going to happen. I was talking with a man who attends here on, on, on Sunday nights, and he was telling me that he got put in a position at work because uh, this company sent in more parts than they actually paid for. And so he went to his boss and said, hey, boss, um, we received the, these items, but we only ordered these items and only paid for these items, so what should we do with these items? How do we send them back? And the boss said, don't send them back. You just put them on the shelf. And uh, he came to me and said, I, I can't do that. That's, that's stealing. I can't do that. And so we prayed about it and we talked about what to do. And so he, he went back and said, listen, I can't do this. And, and his boss said, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Put it on the shelf. So finally he went around that boss to the next boss. And, and that boss said, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'll handle it from here. You get that stuff off the shelf and we'll take care of it. Or, and, and I'll take care of billing or paying for it or whatever the case is. But that's the kind of persecution that we suffer now as living for Christ. I can only imagine what will continue to happen. And, of course, during the tribulation, these saints who are slain during the tribulation period, here, rather than praying for their persecutors, what are they crying out for? They're crying out for God's judgment. They're saying, Lord, we died for you. You know, precious in the sight of God are the death of one of his saints, the Psalms tells us. Precious in the sight of God is the death of one of his saints. He's going to answer back. He will judge. And here they are crying out for judgment, but God says, wait just a little bit because we're not done yet. The rest, there's still more that need to be martyred during this period of time. So even those who come to faith in Christ Jesus during this time are not safe from what's going to happen. Verse 12, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to, to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Interesting about the sixth seal that is opened up, because in the sixth seal we realize the people of the earth, the rulers, the kings, the generals, they realize that this is not just catastrophic events happening by chance. This is actual judgment from God. They, they're recognizing this. And, and in, this, in this sixth seal, there's these cataclysmic signs in the heavens, these terrible things that happen. And, of course, I don't know how this is actually going to play out. I'm not, not really sure. 
Um, of course, lately we've had these blood moons and we're like, ooh, blood moon. And there have been people saying, it's, it's here, the end of the world, and we're still here. Blood moon has, has happened and it's gone. But, but whatever the case is with the moon became coming like blood, we know that from John's perspective, it, there's a great earthquake. And, of course, here in California, we're like, the big one's coming, the big one's coming. I'll never forget one time I was, this is one of my most genius moments. I was driving in the Carrizo Plains National Monument, and it's, uh, it's just a little, little bit north of here on the other side of the, the uh, grapevine. And then you turn towards the coast, and you'll get to the Carrizo Plains. And anyway, on the Carrizo Plains, it's one of the spots that you can be right on the San Andreas Fault and see it. So I'm, I'm driving around uh, on these hills trying to find the San Andreas Fault. Uh, I'm out there driving around, and, uh, and there's a farm guy out there in, in a pickup truck, and I, and I stopped him, and I said, hey, could you tell me where I can see the San Andreas Fault? And he looked at me like I was the dumbest guy ever. And he's like, you're on it. Uh, oh. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I realized the hills I was driving on was the fault line. So I decided to change my perspective a little bit and drive away and up to a higher hill. Looking down, I'm like, oh, there it is. I can totally see it now. It was like I felt really smart that day. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a cool way to recover, and it just there was nothing, nothing there. But, but the big one's going to happen, and there will be three big earthquakes here in Revelation. This earthquake is going to be great, and then the sun became black. Of course, just recently we've seen that earthquake in Pakistan, and we can see what a great earthquake can do. I was just in Nepal after their big earthquake. It was incredible, the devastation and destruction. We're we're fortunate here in California to have some retrofitting, but I have a feeling that earthquake that's going to hit is going to be much greater. And, And I think that possibly, this is all speculation, possibly we could have a chain of seismic events that set off the ring of fire because of what it talks about the the um, the sky vanishing like a scroll. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Uh, maybe there's going to be some great volcanic event that happens along with this earthquake. I don't know. I'm just speculating. But whatever the case is, we know it's going to be a natural disaster. And then uh, and we find everybody taking shelter and saying rocks fall on us. It would be better to die right now than to live through this, whatever's going to happen. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? I love that question at the end of this chapter. They're recognizing once God's judgment comes, who can stand? The answer is no one can stand. In fact, we, we, we know that in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everything the Antichrist is, Jesus is not. And everything the Antichrist is not, Jesus is. The Antichrist is a fake. He's an imposter. Jesus is called faithful and true in Revelation 19. We can rely on him. The Antichrist brings false peace followed by war and destruction. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He gives us peace even in the midst of our circumstances when they're chaotic, he can give us peace. Not, not only in the physical situations, but actually in the emotional situations, the situations in the soul, those things that cause us turmoil, we can find peace in Christ. That's not something the Antichrist can never bring. 
Jesus, in the wake of the Antichrist comes famine and death. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. It is amazing that Jesus satisfies our soul while the Antichrist leaves us empty and hungry. Listen, I want to encourage you and challenge you. Don't chase after this world and its system for things. Don't chase after the fake things of this world, the things that you hope will bring you peace. You know, we can turn to things like alcohol, drugs, legal versus illegal. We can turn to all sorts of things to try to bring us peace in this life. But the fact is, there is nothing that will bring us peace like the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can heal. You know what the sad part is? When we struggle with things, we know, we know how we're acting. We know when it's wrong. And our culture has just gotten used to looking for easy fixes. Man, I wish I could just take a pill and I'll be healthy again. Some things, though, aren't so easy. Some things we must look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We must ask Christ day by day, dying to ourselves, being made new in him, we learn to be new. Counselors use a term called fake it to make it, and I don't totally agree with the term, but, but I understand what they're saying. They're saying if you just start acting like it, eventually you'll be it. And, and I understand that idea of practicing something and encouraging someone to practice good habits and good behaviors. But I think it's more than that. Christianity is not something you can fake. It comes from being born anew, born again, born in Jesus Christ, giving a new, being given a new heart, and that old heart of stone being tossed out. That's what we need. There's no faking that. I sat with a man the other uh, week and. He, uh, he was revealing to me how he wants to kill himself and how he'd, he'd time and time gone to the railroad tracks and looked at the train and thought about killing himself. And he, he's carried around a razor blade in his pocket just trying to decide when to kill himself. And, and he, as he's telling me all these things, I asked him, I said, have you been born again? And he said, well, listen, I, I don't know what you mean about born again, I, I, but if you're talking about church stuff, I go to church and I've been reading my Bible and stuff, but it doesn't make any sense to me. And I said, that's not what I asked. Have you been born again? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, Jesus talked to Nicodemus, who was a religious guy, and this religious guy came to Jesus at night and said, Jesus, how can I be saved? How can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He cannot enter. He must be born of the water and the spirit. Listen, if you want help, if you want the Prince of Peace, if you want the bread that will always satisfy and never leave you wanting for more, you must be born again in Christ Jesus. You must say, Lord, I am done with my sin. I'm ready to repent and turn to you. There's no faking that. That's between you and the Lord. If that's what you want, if you want help, you call in the name of Jesus Christ. This world, it's not going to be able to help you with that. <laughs> As we look at all these things to come, I think we have to ask ourselves, in every chapter I think we need to ask ourselves this, is how should we live then? How should we live knowing that these things are coming to an end? And you may say, well, maybe not in my life. Well, that's true. But eventually your life will come to an end and eventually you will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and eventually you will no longer have time to serve him. And Peter asks this very question in 2 Peter, and he says this. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, speaking about the heavens and the earth and everything we see, 
what sort of people ought you to be in what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for the hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand knowing what beforehand knowing that all these things are going to come to an end that's you and me We know beforehand that these things are going to happen. This is what we're to do. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. By the way, this isn't saying go join a gang. It's not saying warning you about about just those kind of lawless people. It's saying lawless in regards to God, sinful people, sinful behavior. I think this is a challenge for us that, you know, even with the TV shows we watch, or, the, or, or the, the company we keep. I know Christians who hang at bars all day. I don't, I don't understand that. I, in fact, I'd even question, you know, what kind of fruit they're bearing there. But hanging with, uh, being taken, uh, uh, carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Instead of that, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen. That's what we're to be. In light of his coming, in light of the whole earth being torn up, in light of everything being consumed on that great day, we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Interesting how the one who's carried away by lawlessness loses his stability. But we, on the other hand, like a tree firmly planted by waters, well-watered, strong roots, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our God, going before us. Lord, help us to grow in you. Lord, may I know your grace more and more, day by day. May I trust in you. May I turn away from the things of this world. And turn towards you. And God, help me to be mindful of those who are perishing. Lord, help me to be faithful to sharing your good news. That knowing that this world will come to an end. God, help me to be a faithful servant until your return. We love you, Lord Jesus. Accept our worship now. In your name. Amen. Amen, amen. God is glorious and powerful. That man who I sat with a couple weeks ago and I challenged Have you been born again? He called me up last week and he said, Pastor, for the first time in my life, I understand the scriptures. For the first time, they're meaning something to me. Praise God. Now, I don't understand the power of God. I don't understand it. Even when I'm telling him, I'm like, God, please, will you please work in this man's life? God does it. He is powerful. He called me up and left me a message, and it was like a new man. I shared it with Pastor Rod, and Pastor Rod was like, I've never heard him like that. That's what God does. He certainly is glorious and powerful. Listen, God says in his word, he desires that none should perish, but that all should have eternal life. Let me encourage you. Go share that gospel. Be faithful with it. Now may God bless you and keep you. Amen.